Everyone, welcome to today's Take Heart. I hope this finds you doing all right. I remember reading years ago that we know more about the surface of the moon than we do about the floor of the ocean. And I just Googled it to double check and it turns out that it's true, um, that 80% of the ocean remains unexplored. And I just think it's fascinating that we can know so much about something that's so far away and yet so little about something that, relatively speaking, is just on our doorstep. And yet, as Jesus's people, sometimes we end up becoming experts in things that it's not that they're unimportant, but perhaps they're at the kind of the edges of what matters. And, and, and yet we can miss that which is right at the heart of who Jesus is and who he reveals God to be, which is we miss his love. And we can have a whole list of information, a whole load of facts, a whole load of things that we know that we can say about him. But we can, we can fail to explore the richness um, of his love and the, that which is right at the heart of God. And I think for me, one of the things I've just been dwelling on a lot recently is, man, I've known you for so many years now, God, and this is what I'm, I've missed about you as well. Like, I've missed this so badly. Like, I get the theory that you are the God, you are a God who is love, the God who is love. And I know that you love the world and that you, you love people around me and my neighbours and my family and all of that. And, and I know you love me, but I also don't. <laughs> I also, I know it, but I don't know it. And um, I think one way of picturing our relationship with God is, is it's like a journey and an adventure into receiving the most wonderful love we could ever encounter. If God's love is like an ocean, it's, it's an ocean without a shore. It's an ocean without a limit. It's boundless. Paul obviously sees this is right at the heart of what it is to be a Christian because he prays about this, you know, for the Ephesians. So in Ephesians chapter 3, he, he prays, he says, I pray that you would have power to grasp how wide, how long, how high and how deep is the love of Christ. Basically, I want you to have power so you can get how boundless, how limitless, how incomprehensibly vast God's, God's ocean of love towards you is. And he goes on to say, like, uh, you know, um, that you might know this love. And he doesn't just mean theory, no theory about how big is the love of God, but that you would be overwhelmed by the love of God, that you would just be saturated in the love of God, that wave upon wave upon wave of the eternal love of the Heavenly Father would sink into your soul until you are just like resting in the truth of who you are in him and the, the blessings that there are for you in him and the, the peace that there is and the security that you would know this love, he says, that surpasses knowledge. That you might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, I don't think that that knowing of his love happens in um, in a single moment. I think that's going to be a journey we'll, we'll always be on. Um, but it is a journey and we do grow in it. And I think one of the ways we grow in it is by facing the honest truth that we don't believe it most of the time. And um, for many of us, we are quietly 
fearful that God is disappointed in us. And the reason for that is because we can accept to a point that he that he died for our sins. He died for all the things we did wrong, all of our selfishness. And, you know, before we came to know him, he died for our sins. But where we struggle to continue to trust his love is in the fact that we continue to sin in an ongoing way. Now that we know him, even though we know him, even though we know how good he is and we've said yes to following him, we've surrendered our lives to him and we've meant it. You know, perhaps we've done that many times. We've meant it. We still fall short in an ongoing way. And that means we really struggle to accept that he loves us now. Because when people repeatedly let us down, we might forgive them, but we become a little bit wary of them and our hearts perhaps get a little bit less trusting and a little bit more cautious. And we project all of that stuff onto him. We think he's like we are. And his love is not like that. And um, Paul, in order to kind of try and address this, our fear that because of our current sins, our present failures, he, his love for us will grow cold or it has already. That he might, he might say he loves us, but he does it with an eyebrow raise and sort of reluctant sigh. Yes, I love you because I'm a God of love. But really, that's the vibe. That's what we think he, he's like. Paul addresses this um, with some verses in Romans chapter five. I'm just going to read um, a few extracts from it. Verse six, he says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, another way of putting that is still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. Then in verse eight, he says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then in verse 10, he says, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, he goes on to say, how much more will we be through the life of his son? And so basically he's saying the same thing, thing, but in three different ways. He's saying we were nowhere with Jesus, absolutely nowhere. And at the point when we were most hostile, most sinful, most utterly and completely lost and directionless, he died for us then. He died for us then. Put another way, flip it on its head. This is what Dane Ortland does in his book, Gentle and Lowly, that Mike and I have been raving about because it's brilliant. Put it another way. Um, Jesus didn't die for us. He didn't express his love for us when we became strong. He did it when we were still weak. He didn't express his love for us, that ultimate act of sacrificial love, the cross, after we sorted our sin out, after we got our act together. He did it whilst we were sinning, whilst we didn't care that we were sinning. We were sinning gladly. And then uh, he didn't die for us after we became friendly towards him or expressed an interest in him. He died for us when we were his enemies, when we were actively opposing him, aggressive towards him, hating him. That's the moment that he died for us. And of course, that's the gospel, that it's not the story of God meeting us halfway. You come some of the way, I'll come some of the way. But it's God the Father and God the Son initiating, coming all the way. It's not our story of finding Jesus. It's his story of pursuing us and capturing us almost um, with his mercy. And, and so um, it's, it's grace upon grace upon grace. And Paul's making this point. In order to communicate to us, if Jesus did that, 
when we were actively hostile, if he did that when we were his enemies, do we think his care for us is going to waver now that we are his friends? Do we think it's going to become less now that we are his children? This is the logic of these verses and it's a truth to get hold of um, because that's where we begin to, I suppose, enjoy his love. To consider this, um, he drew near to us when we hated him. So now that we want to please him, and I know we've, we fail, but now that we really do want to please him, do we think he's going to be far away from us? Um, he suffered for us when we were rejecting him. So now that we want to accept him, and again, we make mistakes, but we want to accept him and we want to glorify him and we want to honour him, do we think that he's going to turn his back on us now? That doesn't make sense. And yet I sometimes believe that. And his heart towards us was gentle and it was, it was kind when we were full of mess and all the consequences of our own selfishness. Now that we, we want to be like him, even though we fall so far short all the time, do we think his heart towards us is going to be any less kind and any less gentle? Um, and so what I've been realising is that any time I fail, it's an opportunity. Um, any time I sin, and we don't sin in order to do this and to get the opportunity, obviously, but when it happens, it's an opportunity to do what? Number one, obviously to accept the sin is wrong, to repent of it, um, to, to recognise it's a horrible, hated thing and, and to oppose the sin uh, that I see in myself um, and to, to ask the Holy Spirit to help me and to, when I need to, ask friends to help me as well. But, but here's what it is also an opportunity to do. Uh, it's an opportunity to reject the lie of the devil that my father's love for me has grown cold and to sit in, once again, the truth of the gospel which is his love for me, is so consistent, totally boundless, utterly limitless. And it's the same now as it was before I knew him, and it will always be the same for the rest of eternity. And as we begin to enjoy that day after day after day, um, I think we realise more and more really who he is. And in the light of that, we discover who we are too. God bless.